good to see you today, and uh, we're glad to be in the Lord's house, and uh, just was sharing with our uh, starting point class this morning, you know, we believe that what happens on a Sunday morning is, it, it's important, amen? And uh, there, wow, that's kind of weak, so thanks, Jerry. Jerry's like that cricket, amen? You know, we believe what happens here on a Sunday morning is valuable, amen? And uh, what, what goes on in, in the church on a Sunday morning there we go. Get my my lean side there, Christy. And so, um, we believe what happens on a Sunday morning is transcendent. It's holy. It's uh, it's eternal. And uh, you know, it's amazing to think about and consider. You know, um, the lives that have been changed and transformed just through the preaching of the Word of God. And I don't know about you, but there's no other place I'd rather be on a Sunday morning is with God's people, seeing God at work and seeing His Word uh, moving in and transforming the lives of. My heart, your heart, and the hearts of others. And we find that uh, in this series, Five Easy Steps to Ruin Your Life, there's a bit of, of wordplay here, a little bit of sarcasm, if you will. Um, I, I can be sarcastic with the best of them. I would argue that sarcasm is a spiritual gift. And, um, but, but the reason that we're doing this series and we're playing with the words five ways, five easy ways to uh, step to ruin your life is in part because you really have to convince yourself and lie to yourself to walk down a path that's going to ruin your life. You just do have to do that, especially when you consider and you think about the reality of how incredible and good that God is. When you look at this passage of Scripture, the Bible says, therefore, we must pay close attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by, and I might read this this morning, for since the message declared by the angels proved to be reliable, aren't you glad that the word of God is reliable today? Aren't you glad that what the angels declared to the shepherds and to Mary and to, and to the witnesses that it was a true word? Like we can count on that. We can bank on that. We can believe on that. We can put all our, all our eggs in that basket. And so it was reliable. And, and listen to this. This is the gospel right here. And every transgression of or disobedience received a just retribution, meaning that you and I were, were, were great sinners, but we have a great Savior. Amen? Meaning that, yes and amen, we are broken and we are undone and lost and unrighteous in the sight of God, and yet Jesus Christ paid all of our sins, and He washed us white as snow, and He cast Him as far as the east is from the west. So, in some sense, when we think about, and I'm going to get to this in just a moment, when we think about how incredible and amazing and transcendent God is, there's some things that we have to, to basically walk away from, some things that we have to disbelieve, if you will, in order to walk down a path, right, where we're going to ruin our life. And that's what we want to do is we want to expose the lies that we tell ourselves that cause us to ruin, to wreck our lives, to, to lead us to a place of regret. Because I believe this morning that God has a purpose and a plan, so we want to move, don't you? I want to move in the way in which God has directed for me and my calling and His purpose for my life. Because I know that when I live out God's calling, and when I seek His plan, and when I walk in His ways, that's the life that God is going to bless. That's the life that God is going to reward. That's the kind of life where you're going to have peace and joy and goodness all around who doesn't want some of that, amen? I want that for my life. But if you're tired of being blessed by God, 
If you're tired of having God's blessing and reward and his peace around you, we're going to talk about five easy ways to walk down that path as well today. Now this morning, those of you who are believers, you're followers of Jesus, and I understand that not all of you are, I want you to answer this question for me this morning. I want you to ask yourself this question, was there a time in your life where you were honestly closer to God than you are today? Was there a time in your life where you were closer to God than you are today? Maybe you used to get here early and sit in the front row because you didn't want to miss out. Maybe you were the the one that just wanted to show up early because these are the prime seats, even if you don't understand that, right? The front row is the best row. If you sit in the back row, we're praying for your salvation. Perhaps you were so excited about what Jesus Christ had done for you at a point in your life that any friend or relative that you had was not a believer in Jesus. You were so excited to try to help them get to the place where they met Jesus Christ. You were just fired up about it. Like You are just kind of like, I met Jesus. Jesus forgave me my sins, and and Jesus made my life new, and Jesus put my marriage back together. Jesus helped me kick this addiction, and and I want to tell you about what Jesus did for me, and I want you to know that I'm a sinner, but but Jesus, he forgave me, and now my sins are white as snow, and he cast them as far as the east is from the west, and guess what? He remembers them no more, and now I can recover and pursue God's real purpose in my life, and anybody that would listen to you, you would tell them about how wonderful Jesus What a wonderful name, the name of Jesus. Or maybe you were a person of prayer and you just, you, you deepened your relationship with God and, and you could, you, maybe you kept a journal where you would write out prayer requests and you'd say, I'm God, I'm praying for this. And then one by one, you would just see those prayers answered by God. Or maybe you have this expanding and growing faith and you'd be excited and, and you would, you would feel like God would, would speak to you, not necessarily audibly, like like, go to Chipotle today. We were just talking about, you know, fine cuisine. Chipotle, that's fine cuisine. And so, um, we're not talking like that. But you know what I'm saying? Where God leads you, God directs you from the, the reliability of the written word. God gave you a word. God gave you a direction. And you just, you just knew that that was God's plan and purpose for your life. Spiritually, you think, man, God's leading me to do this. And then somewhere along the way, the passion for Jesus, the passion for God, the passion for the things of God, they just kind of calmed. And so you inadvertently kind of just drifted away from your relationship with Christ. Now, Hebrews 2, 1 through 3 is the first of five admonitions that the writer gives us. We don't know who the writer is. Some suggest Paul, but we're not really sure. But the purpose of this text The purpose of this passage is to encourage the readers to pay attention to our calling as followers of Jesus Christ. We're to pay attention to how we obey the Word of God, how we follow the Word of God, how we we recalibrate recalibrate our life to the teaching of the Word of God as His disciples. Now, more spiritual problems, more spiritual problems are caused by neglect than perhaps any other failure on our part. More spiritual problems in this life are simply caused by neglect than any other thing or any other failure on our part. So what I want to do this morning is I want to take a few minutes and break these verses down so we can understand the steps that we take when we drift away from God. The writer in verse number one makes a plea for diligence. Look at what he says, first of all. He says, therefore, 
we must pay close attention, closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. The writer says pay much closer attention to what we have heard. We must, we must pay even more excessive. That's what the word, the idea here that the, the writer's writing. He's like, we need to pay excessive attention to what we have heard. We need to be dialed into what we have heard. This means we must give special and complete attention and care to someone or something. I was thinking about it this morning. What exactly is the writer talking about? What is it that we that we need to really pay close attention to? What is it that we need to, to be excessive about? What is it that we need to be focused on? We get thinking about this, and when you get down to verse number 2, it says the message declared by the angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression of, of disobedience received a just retribution. And so what we find in this passage is the, the power of and the reality of and the, the freeness of the gospel. And then if you look in verse 1, it says therefore. And the word therefore, you know, uh, our English teachers in grade school and high school would say uh, when you see the word therefore, you ask what is it? What is it there for? Therefore, well, therefore what? Well, he's completing a thought. And he says, therefore, we must pay attention to what we've heard. Well, what do we heard? You go back to chapter number one. And I want you to look at verses number one through four. Just kind of read through this with me really quickly. The writer opens this book and he says, long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed to be the heir of all things, whom, we have all, whom also he created the world. And in verse 3, he says, he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making the purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What are we exactly paying close attention to? The writer of Hebrews is saying, you know what we need to pay attention to? We need to pay attention to the superiority of Jesus Christ. We need to, we need to be dialed into who Jesus is. We need to wrap our hearts and our minds and, and, and align our lives with, with the life and, and, the, and the message of Jesus Christ. In this verse, he says, um, he says in these last days, he's spoken to us, by his son, and he says in verse 3, he's the radiance of the glory of God. And I want you to think of just for a minute about the appearance of Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you four little A's here. These aren't even in your notes today, but you might want to write them down. I alliterate them like every good Baptist preacher does. He's the radiance of the glory of God. And I want you to just to press down and think for a minute about the appearance of Jesus Christ. The Bible's teaching us here that he is the radiance, he is the light. Jesus is the light giving glory to God. And listen to this. He breaks the darkness. Can I get an amen? When there was night, he became our day. When there was darkness, he became our light. And he showed us the way. He brings light to the darkness. And then it goes on in the same verse. It says he's the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds. Listen to this. Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. I can't hold anything together. I like to think that I can. I like to think that I'm in control. I like to think that I can manage things. 
man, I could barely manage keeping my shoes tied most of the time in comparison to the superiority of the authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ stands in the second person of the Trinity as God, and he holds this entire universe, this cosmos, and all of its creation together by the word of his power. He does it at every level. He has all authority. He holds it all together by the word of his mouth. And then he goes on to say that he absolves, he forgives. He, he's the light that brings, uh, he brings light to darkness. He holds it all together. And then look at what he says there. And after making purification of sins. So he's like, see, listen to what he's saying. In addition to this, and in addition to this, in addition to this, you know what else Jesus does? He's a forgiver of sins. He's a chain breaker, Amen. It doesn't matter what your sins are. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter uh, how broken you feel. It doesn't matter what skeletons that you have in the closet. Jesus is the one who came to make all things new. Jesus is the one who, who, who came to, to set you and me free. In fact, this morning I just read in my Bible in Romans chapter 5 where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And the reality is, is in, in chapter number 6, he goes on to say that I am no longer, listen to this, I am no longer a slave to sin. I'm dead to that. And so when I was five years old, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I recognized for the very first time that I was a sinner. And I put my faith in Jesus and what he did for me. Not in my baptism, not in my parents' faith, uh, not in any good thing that I can do. But I put it in the work of the gospel as demonstrated by Jesus Christ on the cross dying for my sins and then coming back from the grave so that he could transform me right now and forevermore. And so Jesus has this, this appearance. He has this authority. He has the ability to absolve our sins. But then it, and then it says this, and then he sat down at the, the right hand of the majesty on high. He ascended to his rightful place at the right hand of God. Listen to this. He rules and reigns with complete wisdom and with complete sovereignty. Do you realize that nothing, nothing, nothing in this world slips outside the omniscience of our almighty God? Nothing. He is all wise and he is all knowing. And every, everything that's occurring in our life right now, while we sit here today and we're like, man, why am I going through this? And why do I face this struggle? And what's going on in my life? And I don't understand. Man, there is a God in heaven who's not breaking a sweat and wringing his hands and pacing back and forth. But he is at the right hand of God with all sovereignty in control of everything in your life. And he has not forgotten your address. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows the, the moments that you wake up at night. He knows when you're alone. And he promises that he'll never, ever leave you and never, ever forsake you. And so he rules and reigns with authority. There's no king there's no dictator, there's no president, there's no world government that can overthrow the authority of Jesus Christ. And when I think about it this morning, when I consider what this passage is teaching us, he says we must pay closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away. And what I, what I want you to understand this morning is that when we see the weight of our sin and the worth of Jesus, we'll be motivated to pursue him deeper and not drift away from him or his grace. Friends, I want to tell you something. When you see the weight of your sin and the worth of Jesus Christ, 
you'll be motivated to pursue more of him and not drift away. But the writer knows the condition of the human heart. He says, therefore, we must pay close attention to what we've heard lest we drift away. He makes his plea for, for, um, for diligence, but we also have this problem of drifting. We have this, this problem, and the writer's making a plea to be diligent about your relationship to Jesus Christ because we're all tempted to drift away from our Savior. We must, must be aware of that. We must recognize that. That's why, that's why uh, 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 Solomon said in Proverbs, keep your heart, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. James said it this way, draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. The Bible says in 1 Timothy, uh, Paul was writing to uh, a young pastor by the name of Timothy, and he says, take heed unto yourself and under the doctrine, for in doing this you will both save yourself and them that hear you. And so we have this, this responsibility to recognize the condition of the human heart that, that when things are neglected, and that's what he goes on to say in verse number 3, how shall we neglect so great a salvation. It's the tendency of the human heart. William Cooper, who is the hymn writer, and he wrote the, the, the hymn, Come Thou Fount. We sing uh, a modern arrangement of this sometimes in our church. He says, let thy, it's one of my favorite hymns, Let thy goodness like a fetter by my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Well, that's the condition of my heart. That's the tendency of my heart. That's the temptation of my life, to, to leave the one I love. It's prone to wonder, oh, look, you know, it's kind of like a, yesterday my wife and I were driving down the road, and this, this squirrel ran out in front of us, and, and I almost, almost killed a squirrel yesterday. The crazy thing is, is if you notice squirrels, they go one way, and then they go the other. They zigzag real quick, right? And I have this passage of Scripture that I quote to the squirrels, a double-minded squirrel is going to be squashed in all of his ways. But sometimes we're like that squirrel. We don't know which way we're going, and we're, we're kind of like looking for nuts all over the place. And, oh, there's a nut over here, and oh, there's a nut over here, and we're just squirrely about everything. We laugh, but in reality, I mean, we always are looking for the next thing, the next trendy thing, the next shiny thing, when in reality there's nothing that shines brighter than Jesus Christ. There's nothing of more value than Jesus Christ. There's nothing that has more glory than Jesus Christ. There's nothing that can forgive our sins like Jesus Christ. There's within each of us this natural tendency and temptation to drift away from God. It's natural to believe that, that we can live life without including God in our, our daily lives, our daily choices, our dreams, our ambitions, our hopes, our lives, our families, our jobs, our monies, our finances. And I'm here to encourage you today that a life spent seeking to know God and to obey His will will be rewarded and blessed far above anything imaginable. You live your life for God. You live your life pursuing Him. And I hope all of our young people are hearing this today, all of our, our teenagers and all of our single adults. They don't compromise on your pursuit of God. Don't compromise on your devotion to Jesus Christ. When no one else stands, stand for Jesus. When it might cost you something, be honest. Hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you, because you'll never regret living in pursuit of a God of God and his, uh, and his plan and purpose for your life. Two words that are used in this passage. The first one is drifting. Drifting, the idea means to slip away. To just slip away. The, the image there of drifting is that of a ship drifting. The, 
the, the picture that the author's trying to, to give us this morning is of a ship missing a harbor that it intended to enter because of strong currents or winds. And listen, the, the currents of our culture and the, the currents of our heart and, 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 and the lies that we tell ourselves, they're strong currents that lead us away from God, not to God. So we have to swim upstream. We have to be diligent. We have to be disciplined. The second word is neglect. What does it mean if we, if we neglect our salvation? We see that in verse number three. He says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Now, let me say this. Some authors will disagree, but some will say, hey, this is for, for, for those that, 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 that are unbelievers. The writer didn't say if you reject your salvation. He says if you neglect your salvation. So the immediate context is for those of us who, who genuinely know and are attempting to follow Jesus Christ. And so the reality is, is that while we may not stand at the great white throne judgment, which is for unbelievers who God will open the Lamb's book of life and say, hey, you know, your name is written, your name is not, and then they're cast into utter darkness forever and ever. That's not the judgment for believers. You and I are going to stand before the bema seat of Jesus Christ where he'll reward us. And that's the judgment that we stand uh, in lieu of uh, for the life that we live. And he says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The word neglect means to be unconcerned. It's unconcerned. You know why? Because drifting happens so easily. Next week I'm going to talk and we're going to do a message on addictions. And I'm going to say this next week, and I've said it multiple times here in this pulpit, that you don't wake up one day and say, I'm going to commit adultery. I'm going to do an eight ball of heroin today. I'm going to do some crack, or I'm going to go out, and I'm going to spend my, our, our grocery money on, on gambling or booze or alcohol. You don't, you don't just wake up one day, and you, you drift. You drift. You neglect. You become unconcerned. Drifting is the byproduct of neglect, and that is a lack of concern or, or an interest in. I'm not trying to be sensational today. I'm, I'm truly not. But I think the thing that's killing the church today, and I think the thing that possibly is killing your walk with God and the potential that God has in your life it is not a major sin that you have lurking in the depths of your heart. It's just an apathy towards your relationship with God. For many of you today, you're sitting here and you're just like, well, I'm saved. What else do I need? And you're missing out on the best parts of your, of your Christian life because you're not leaning into the powerful promises that are found in the Word of God. God has so much more for those who are willing to walk in step with his word and will. If you'll be diligent and not drift and be unconcerned about your relationship with him. It's just like any other relationship. I'm married. My wife and I celebrated 18 years of marriage last year. And it'd be last week. Thank you. Make sure we edit the tapes before we put them online. like the Philippines. Apparently there's hundreds of islands. Thank you, Jenna. Last week, we celebrated 18 years of marriage, and it had been so easy in our, our marriage to just drift away from each other. We could have just been roommates, and a lot of couples do that. And there's times where in a marriage you just feel like <laughs> sometimes, you know, there's things that you're going to put your flag in the ground on, and I think when you first get married, like everything's that hill, right? You're just, yeah, I'm putting my towels where I want them, and that's where I'm putting my flag down. At this point, I'm just like, where do you want the towels, right? You know? 
Why are you laughing? You still need to learn that. <laughs> the other day we were talking about this. My wife and I, we go to counseling from time to time to work on different components of our marriage because I just believe that's a good thing to talk to people. And, um, you know, I, I feel like I'm great at counseling people. And I, I've helped tons of marriages. Some of you in this room I've helped. But uh, for whatever reason, I, I, I don't have the ability to fix this sometimes. And so we were talking about it the other day. I said, sometimes it feels, I just, we're being honest, having an honest conversation. Sometimes I, just, I told her, I said, you know, it just feels like it'd be so much easier to just not talk about this stuff and just ignore it. But, but I, I know this, smart enough to know this, that our relationship is better and deeper because we're willing to do the work and not drift away from each other. It's the same way with your relationship with God. You see, God never drifts from us. The danger is our drifting away from him. You see, many Old Testament saints failed to finish well, failing to, falling to one kind of evil or another. You got Noah. You know, man, he built an ark. I mean, Noah did some cool stuff. Like, he built an ark. I mean, you go down to Kentucky and they got like a replica of the ark. I mean, that's legit, right? The, the, the animals walk, I mean, and that's still like a miracle. Like, I, I want to get to heaven and be like, Noah, uh, Noah, like, what happened? Like, did it smell? You know, what did you eat? How did you refrigerate? Like, I'm just, all these questions I want, how, really, where did you put all these animals? And did you get a T-Rex? Like, I just want to know. Were dinosaurs, I mean, was this Jurassic World type stuff going on? Like, I want to know that. And Noah, Noah saw this, right? He saw the power of God at work. And he ends up naked in his tent, drunk, at the end of his life. You look at David. David, I mean, took a, a, a rock, and he killed Goliath, knocked him down, one shot. No one else was willing to stand up to him. And, I mean, he, he became king. And, I mean, he killed a bear with his own hands and a lion with his own hands. I mean, that's cool, man. You know what I'm saying? Oh, there's a bear, you know. I mean, do you ever think about the reality of what God did in the, in, in the Bible? Like, those are some cool, I mean, you couldn't write this stuff for television. Amazing stuff. Got bored one day. Stopped paying attention to the awesomeness of God. Lost the, the view of transcendency. Lost the view of e eternality. And he saw a young woman bathing herself and said, I want her. Ruined his life. Ruined his family. None of us are... Are, are immune to that. You look at Moses. I mean, Moses led the children of Israel. Moses is a, is a unique character to me. And for those of you that, that, that don't know, there's this guy in the Old Testament. And, and, and Moses was, was born and he was raised by Egyptians. And then um, God called him to lead his people from Egypt out of slavery into a land that he had promised to them. And one of the things that Moses did was he's being pursued by the Egyptians because they're going to kill him. And all the people that were with him, and he gets up to the Red Sea, and all the people are complaining, ah, what are we going to do? Ah, it sounds like church, you know, like, can't believe you let us here, you know. And all this stuff's going on, and Moses just puts his staff in the ground, and the water splits. And he and like over a million people walk through dry ground, not squishy ground, dry ground, you know. And then as they get through, the Egyptians come and God wipes them all out and delivers them. That's legit, right? But then Moses gets ticked off at all the people and he strikes the rock twice and he doesn't go into the promised land. He misses out on God's plan and God's reward and God's purpose for his life because God says, hey, strike this rock once and I'll give you water. And Moses got ticked off and 
you know. There's your water, <laughs> you know. I mean, I'm not judging him because I probably would have done the same thing. I probably would have picked it up and thrown it at you guys, you know. <laughs> but the issue is the dangers that Christians may grow cold in their love for Christ. Now, let me ask you this. Have you grown cold? Have you drifted? Because here's how drifting happens. Here's the process of drifting. Five steps that you take. Let me give it to you. Let's just get real practical today. First one is, look, if you want to drift away from God, and here's the, here's the sarcasm component of the message. You want to drift from God? Neglect your time with God. Just neglect your time. Psalm 63, 1 says, Oh God, you're my God, and earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I'm going to tell you this. Every single one of us in this room are thirsty. Every single one of us will faint in this world without the water of the word of God. We need God's word in our life. We need time alone with God. We need time in prayer. We need to talk to him. And we need to share with him our fears and our struggles and our, our worries. We need to share with him our requests. We need to share with him our joys. We need to thank him. The psalmist says, um, enter into his presence with praise and into his courts with thanksgiving. Oh, that we might be a people of gratitude that just spend time with God thanking him for who he is. So, man, you want to drift from God? Don't spend time with God. Put him aside. Don't seek him. Here's another one. You want to drift from God? If you don't like your circumstances, blame, blame God. Just blame God. I mean, don't believe Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, where it says, Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. I mean, don't believe stuff like that, right? Don't believe that even though your situation right now is difficult and challenging, that God can work all things together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. You know how easy it is to, to have your heart broken? I mean, I know some of you in this room today, you're probably feeling betrayed by a divorce, or maybe someone uh, in, in church in years gone by, or maybe currently, maybe someone's hurt you in the church, and so... Obviously, it's the church's fault or it's Jesus' fault. So blame it on God that you're going through some hurt right now. Give that to him. So I've been hurt as a Christian, and I've been hurt by another Christian, so I, I just can't go to church every year. Just blame God. It's so unfortunate to see the number of people that drift because of hurt and because of bitterness. Listen, man, if you're in a marriage, if you're in a family, if you're in a church, people are going to hurt you. People are going to mislead you. People are going to betray you. People are going to not always be honest with you. But the beauty of the gospel is that we are people that have been forgiven, and therefore we are a people of forgivers. And so we live from and we operate from a disposition of forgiveness. But look, if you want to drift away from God, one of the sure ways to do that is to allow a root of bitterness to dwell up in your heart. Hebrews tells us that later on. Or, or even better, blame your situation, your trial, your suffering on God. Don't believe the, the whole thing about troubles and trials and building perseverance and character because you don't need that. You've got everything covered, and obviously you're on God's you know, all-star team, and you should be immune to and exempt from the suffering and trials of this world that would develop your character. And so, so listen, blame it on God that things aren't going the way that you want and that your character is where it already needs to be in the first place. So therefore, blame God that you're going through some stuff right now. Believe that if you're a Christian, nothing should ever go wrong. And when it does, blame him. Let anything 
you do that you don't like be a wall between you and God, neglect him and blame him. But then do this, hang around bad influence. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. Don't hang around Christians. They can be annoying. You know Christians are annoying, right? All they want to do is do strange things like encourage you in the Lord. Like who needs that, right? Who needs someone speaking faith into their life? Or saying, hey, man, I'm going to pray for you this week. You know, junk like that. Who needs that, right? If you want to drift away from God, don't hang out with people that love and follow and pursue Jesus Christ. And, and, and here's the other thing. Don't go to a growth group. Because those, those people are really weird, right? Like, they actually want to know more about Jesus. They actually want to press into the Word of God. And they actually hang out together. And they serve one another. And they bless one another. And they... Uh, provide for one another, they hang out with one another, they eat with one another, they, they do life together. Don't Look, if you want to drift from God, don't go to a growth group. Don't hang out or hang around anyone who loves you enough to confront you when you're wrong. Just hang out with people that all they do is tell you what you want to hear and how awesome you are and how you've got everything together. Those are the kinds of friends that you need if you want to drift away from God. And then here, do this. Give, give in to temptation. James says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Give in to temptation over and over. Let sin and disrupt any communication you have with God. Just, just don't say no to sin. And then here's another one. Love this world more than you love God. 1 John 2.15 says, do not love the world or the things that are in the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, honestly, a lot of you probably already do this. You see, because many of you, all you have to do is fall more in love with the temporary pleasures of this world. It's easy. It's easy to do this. Lust after the things of this world. Believe that you are what you drive. Believe that. Believe that you have to have the newest car on the parking lot. That you have to have a Range Rover or a Lexus or whatever the car is that's cool right now. I don't know, Mini Cooper. I don't know, right? Just believe that you will not be happy until you have a better house. Believe that, that you can go into massive debt, borrow money to buy things that, to impress people that you don't even like, right? Amen? Don't send up treasures ahead. That's just dumb. Like, why would you do that? Don't be generous. You need every dime to invest in the things of this world so you can fall more in love with the things of this world and you can drift even further from God. And if all else fails, just fake it. Just fake it. Pretend that you're living a Christian life when inwardly your heart is really far from God. Now, <clears throat> I can be sarcastic with the best of them, but that was really hard. Because I think all of you know that's not my heart to do. Because every single one of those things we could flip, right? Because if you want to draw close to God, let's do some things differently. In fact, deep down in my heart, I see myself in these steps. I see myself making excuses and rationalizing away my own sinful choices and ignoring God's good blessing and faithfulness in my life. I struggle in this as, every bit as much as anyone in this room because it's easy because ministry, I told the starting point class today, I get paid to be a professional Christian. Like that's my job. I get paid to do this, to tell people about Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, to equip you for the work of the ministry. I have to do this at some level. But you know, there are times where 
being a pastor could be a job. It could be a vocation. And I have to remind myself that my first and primary calling is that of a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's, a t- it's tempting for me to drift. It's tempting for me to fake it. So I'm not being hard on you. I'm actually preaching to myself. My heart grows cold from time to time. I lose passion for his purpose in my life. It's tempting to want to bail on the church because you've been hurt, because someone's lied to you, someone's betrayed you, someone said something that's not true about you. I get all of that. I know all of that. I've experienced all of that. My wife has experienced that. Many of you have experienced the hurt that comes with being a follower of Jesus Christ and being a part of a church. And, and, and all of those things are, are, are potential catalysts to us drifting away from God. Every, every single struggle and pain is worth it, though. Every single struggle and pain and trial is worth it when I walk with Jesus and he satisfies the brokenness of my heart. Sometimes I'm like, man, is, I, I sat in my office two weeks ago. I'm just being candid with you today. I sat in my office two weeks ago and I thought, man, is this worth it? God, are you really, really going to use me? Are you going to really allow me to make a difference? Are these people really going to listen to what needs to be said? Am I going to listen? I struggle with those very same thoughts. And then I come in on a Sunday morning and we sing that song, What a Wonderful Name of Jesus, and I realize it's not about me. And it's not about the difference that I make. It's about my obedience to the Word of God. It's about whether or not I am individually and personally going to fulfill my calling as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I can't control what my wife does. I can't control what my kids do. I mean, they're kind of crazy, and they're going to need all kinds of therapy when they get older because of the, the, the raising of their parents, you know, the, the craziness that we put them through. I can't control them. I can't control any of you. You can't control me or the people in your life and the, the brokenness that's around you. But one thing that you can do is be faithful to God and obey Him. You can be diligent in your walk with God and you can pursue Him and go deeper with Him. And here's what breaks my heart. Some of you right now, man, you know you're far from God. There's some of you in this room today that you, you know that you've lost some of the love and passion that you once had for Jesus Christ. And you even know why. You know you've neglected time from God. You know that you've blamed others for your, for your, for your bitterness and your unforgiveness. And you've, you're blaming God because of your trials and your suffering. And, and on and on and on we can go today. You, you know why and you don't even care. And my heart breaks for you. You know that you've drifted. You know that your love and your passion for Christ and his kingdom is not what it once was. And I see so many people ruining their lives because they're, they're taking progressive, small steps to a pointless and broken future, a future without God's blessing. And I'm just here to tell you this morning there's a better way. Because there's some of you that are in here and, 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 and you can't wait for me to shut up, right? Not because you want to go to Portillo's or Chipotle or or the country club afterwards, but because you want to get down to this altar as quickly as you can and say, God, renew my passion, renew my love, help me to know my purpose, help me not to drift from you, but to lean into you and to deepen my walk with you. I want your blessings on my life. I want your faithfulness in my life. I want to serve you with all that I have because I want to stand before you, not neglecting my salvation. 
see some of you, you become so skilled at shaking off whatever the Holy Spirit's trying to say that you can't, that you can't successfully shake off this message and leave completely unchanged. Stop playing the game because you're not fooling anyone. So let me ask you, are you going to drift? Are you going to drift? Like just straight up, be honest about it. Every single one of us one day, we're, we're, we're accountable for the words we hear, the messages that we hear, the, the, the word that we sit under. Are you going to drift? Or are you going to heed this plea to be diligent, to pay excessive attention to Jesus? Are you going to purpose in your heart this morning to diligently pursue the God who loves you and the God who wants to bless you? And this morning, no matter how far you've drifted, no matter how far you've gone, no matter how deep you are in the pit, there's a way back. There's a way out. And God wants you to start by taking the first steps towards him because guess what? He's never moved. I read an illustration this week about a couple that had been married for many, many years. And when they got married, he had a, he had a pickup truck. It was like a Ford F-150 with a big cab in the front. And when they first started dating, he would drive that truck, and she'd sit in the middle of that cab, and he'd throw his arm around her, and he'd drive that truck, and they'd be so close together. After about 25, 30 years of marriages, uh, you know, 25 or 30 years of marriage, over time, she began to sit on the other side of the truck. And one day, as they're driving down the road in the actual same pickup truck, he kind of tinkered with it, kept the truck going, and they're driving down the road. And she says to her husband, sweetie, why don't, why don't we sit next to each other in the truck anymore? Why do we sit apart? And he's sitting there driving, arm around the seat. She goes, baby. I've never moved. I want to tell you this morning, it's the same way with God. He's sitting here this morning with arms wide open. And no matter how deep you've gone into the pit, and no matter how far you've drifted from God, he's saying to you, child of God, I've never moved. Would you just come back to me? With heads bowed and eyes closed. How many of you say to me this morning, I, I know for sure that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I know that I put my faith in him, and if I were to slip out into eternity today, that heaven is my home. Would you lift your hand and let me see those this morning? Amen. Now, how many of you say to me this morning, Pastor Jason, I'm not sure that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I've never put my faith in him. I don't know that I'm forgiven of my sins and I have a relationship with God. Would you just lift your hands and let me see those uh, this morning? Anyone at all? Anyone at all? And how many of you say to me this morning, Pastor Jay, I find myself in the message today. I find that I've drifted from God and that my passion that I once had for him is not there. And I want you to pray for me that I would, that I would lean into God and I begin pursuing him like the day that I got saved. Would you just lift your hand this morning and let me see those? Yes, 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 yes. Hands all over the room this morning. Let's all stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father in heaven, we thank you again for Jesus Christ. We thank you for your love for us. All that we'd see the weight of our sin and the worth of Jesus Christ this morning hope that we have in the message of the gospel and I pray this morning that you might move in our midst that the spirit of God convict us and challenge us and grow us and help us to take the steps necessary to be the people that you called and purposed us to be and we ask it in Jesus name John's going to sing and as he does on the first note if God's spoken to you